0: Half of my interviews are just like, but are the Beatles really a boy band? And, you know, it's like I've sort of rehearsed my response to Angry Dads.
1: We will give you enough to say that we will be going to this definitely with the assumption, yes, that the Beatles are absolutely a boy band. We do not have to litigate that. What are you talking about?
0: (laughs) man i need you in my
2: mentions (laughs) (laughs) send the uh, that should be a twitter feature that's like just like a silent alarm for like please help me people are being pedantic in my mentions right now
0: yeah it's nuts i actually did that thing where it's like only showing me tweets from like people who are like mutuals or whatever the hell it is because most of it was just like people were very angry at me and i'm like sir i'm just trying to brush my teeth here (laughs) (laughs)
1: to and introducing a podcast about words about music. I'm Chris Wade and I'm Molly O'Brien and introducing singing and dancing and generally looking dreamy they're boy bands. Today we're taking a look at one of pop music's most enduring trends those group of young men and their catchy songs that absolutely drive teenage girls wild known collectively as boy bands From the Beatles through BTS, these groups have generated some of the fiercest adoration from their fans and fiercest derision from their detractors, but have always left an indelible mark on the pop culture landscape. And today we'll be asking why, how, and most importantly, do you ship Larry Stylinson With the author of Larger Than Life, A History of Boy Bands, From NKOTB to BTS, folks, welcome back to the pod, Maria Sherman. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks for saying NKOTB instead of New Kids on the Block. That really it's a tongue twister for some people. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I could say it in my sleep, obviously.
1: It's a lot of acronyms. It
0: is, yeah.
2: It's it's necessary though. You got you got to have the the shorthand for for your boys, you know?
0: Yeah, you're typing it all day long. It takes it takes time
1: <laughs> <laughs> defending their honor on message boards.
0: It's saving me uh, from it... future carpal tunnel from, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: So, Maria, we uh, had you here, I mean, I guess a few months ago in, in real time, but, you know, only a few episodes ago in chronology of the pod to talk about beat happening for our uh, wildly lauded, uh, hugely accomplished uh, series on Our Band Could Be Your Life, which was taking a look at, you know, hardcore punk and indie bands uh, of the 1980s. But you just recently published this book about uh, boy bands, which is a bit of a diversion from the uh, hardcore DIY aesthetic. I guess I just want I asked the, the question: What drew you to boy bands? To uh, to why did you need to embark on this project?
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because I realize we've discussed my two and only interest areas. So like I'll never be back. <laughs> so thank you, thanks for uh, <laughs> for getting me in. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I guess when I was like a kid, I was sort of interested in boy bands. I went through a backstreet phase, but then I sort of quickly discovered Blink-182 and lost immediate interest. A lot of it was because like a boy that I liked like Blink-182, which is sort of embarrassing. But what this is going to be an embarrassing conversation in some capacity. So I feel <laughs> comfortable and safe sharing that with you. Um, but what really happened was I was in college. I went to NYU. I was the music director at our college radio station listening to punishingly obscure like noise and hardcore almost exclusively uh which I still love and appreciate and that is where you can find me in person most of the time if I leave my house but at some point during that time period, I guess it would be 2011, One Direction came into the world and I like was not immune to their powers at all. Immediately gave in, sort of kept it to myself and then realized a bunch of like punks that I was friends with also secretly liked One Direction or pop music <laughs> in general. It's just like it never came up in conversation, you know? And it, it became like an obsession as as boy bands so often do for young women and people in general. Uh, And then I sort of realized I could take my sort of music criticism skills that I was sort of learning because I've always wanted to be a writer and apply them to this phenomenon in a way that wasn't just like, why are these girls always screaming or or hysterical is, is the term that gets thrown around most commonly. Um, and that's kind of where it came from. It, I think it was certainly like a little bit of egoism where I was like, I can fix this, <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> and then it became like, no, it's, it's not that it's about like introducing other ways of thinking about this kind of pop music that isn't just blanket. They're catchy. So they're good songs. And it not just we hate it because young girls like it, like, you know, to approach it with some nuance. And I think that was sort of the seedling for my thinking. And then eventually the, the book. I mean, it's it's
2: amazing. I read it as a I was about to say recovering boy band uh, girl, but you can clearly there's no recovering. I was telling Chris before we started recording. I'm like, I still like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, like technically the same amount that I did when (laughs) I was a child. It's just when I was a child, I didn't really like anything else. And so that was just my entire like life force directed in that way. And now I have more, I've done some things (laughs) in my life. Like I've gone to school and had a couple of jobs. And so there's a little bit more to like work with, but the, the the power is still the same. And reading this book, I was like, It it was pleasing to me because I, when I was a kid, I had had all of the like fan books, not all of them, I'm sure there was a ton, but like uh, a phenomenon that I was obsessed with was like just sort of like fan service biographies Mm. of like Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or like a particular member. And this felt to me like, kind of like a primer for people who might not know anything that's going on but then also has some like nuggets for the real heads and I I appreciated that it almost felt like a an updated version of like uh, a fan so something for the fans and then something for people who might become fans if that makes sense
0: Totally. Yeah. And and thank you so much. I love those. I still go to Claire's whenever I'm in a mall. This is so... Do they still have those? There's like a Claire's in, in Herald Square in, in New York City that I've I've gone to to buy those like fan books that are, I guess, exclusively there and at like Barnes & Noble. Places that are in the suburbs and, and not so readily available to us city slickers. But yeah, I, I think they're great and they're colorful. Um, but I kind of wanted to go beyond the like... This is this member's favorite color.
1: <laughs> yes, of. exactly. Uh, yeah. or,
0: or what kind of girl they like? That's a that's a good one um, that yep. I came across in my my research, including <laughs> what kind of girl Lance Bass is into, which is very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I think it was a nice girl. He's into nice girls. (laughs) Um, Imagine if one of
2: them was just like, "Yeah, I like I like girls that are just horrible people. I like I like especially in
1: the the tone and age range for the those books are directed at. If like one of the boy band members was like, "I gotta say, I'm into a punishing bitch." (laughs) And the writer's just like sure totally
0: yeah no, I don't I don't know if you get a uh, get a Jive Records deal with that kind of mouth but uh. <laughs> um,
2: well I really I really enjoyed it I um I, I guess Chris, Chris I should ask you how you know what was your boy band experience when you when you were a boy well
1: let me let me answer that question with a question to you based on my experience Molly. When you were of the InSync Backstreet Boys age, I guess this is good, should go for Maria as well. Did you like one of those groups and exclude to the exclusion of the other? Because my first introduction with these groups was with the concept that you can either like InSync mm. or Backstreet Boys. And that was a zero-sum game. Uh, and you had to pick one and then actively dislike the other. So were, did either of you guys, when you were first getting into those groups feel that kind of exclusivity of of like
2: i think for me i liked backstreet boys first because they were around first slightly uh and then i think i maybe moved in the in a slight way from like a child to more of a tween or an almost tween within sync but i never like lost any affection or adoration for backstreet boys i do think we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit i do think like the trl thing did pit them against each other in a way that I was aware of because there can you know there can only be one number one Um, but I didn't necessarily feel like tribal about it Maria how about you
0: yeah um, well I liked Backstreet Boys also because they came first and I kind of consider them the like emo option of the two they're just like they (laughs) sulk around more they're always wearing like black and blue in fact they have an album called black and blue Mm -hmm. I do not know if that is the reason Um, and and that sort of spoke to me even when they were like dripping wet and clearly like like (laughs) a teen girl girl like sexual awakening fodder um i didn't really read it as that um and then nsync i think felt a little too sexy for me at the time simply because they were better dancers and you know what is dancing if, mm-hmm. if not i don't know uh <laughs> pre <pre-coital laughs> moves um right, yeah but i was sort of intimidated by that and also like in, instead of having a sort of backstreet versus nsync debate in my mind i had like a boy band versus blink 182 like early days of pop punk punk becoming this like mtv thing um so that was that was the sort of internal debate that i had but
1: so i bring that up to say that when these things came when these groups were coming up obviously the the like in sync backstreet boys generation of the boy bands and then to a lesser extent like 98 degrees were the bands that were hitting when i and all my peers were in that uh that the right cohort for those to be uh you know, marketed to, and I remember, and this might just be to a certain extent, the the styles that fandoms take in various different places that in my school, in my group, it was very much all the girls had to pick sides and be one or the other, and then be fiercely defensive and be mad at each other about it, and so there was, like, this intense uh, fight over fandoms among the girls, and then on the other side, there was the group of boys who were absolutely derisive dismissive and had like a visceral kind of loathing uh of these groups for reasons that i found equally inscrutable and i <laughs> guess my first response to to both of these is just kind of not not getting why there was so much uh, psychic energy being put into these groups that to me were like basically the same as anything else on fm radio like it was all just like the pop music that you hear on radio or mtv I didn't have a super strong emotional identification with it. So I don't know. I was just like, anytime it was brought up, somebody was, was saying something really, really strongly about, about one of these groups. And I was just thinking like, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I don't get it either way. They're like, fine. It's, it's all fine. You didn't uh, want, you
2: didn't want that smoke, Chris. <laughs> yes. I, was like, I would like to be,
1: I was very much like, I would like to be excluded from this conversation, uh, but certainly I will say that I do have a very strong memory of whatever summer it is. I want to say it's either 2001 or 2002. I was watching a lot of TRL, and it was the summer that Sum, 41, Sum 41's Fat Lip mm. and instincts Pop were duking it out over, like, 20 weeks to be number one on TRL. And I consider myself a bit of a pop punk boy, and I was, like, certainly rooting for uh, Sum 41. But by the end of that summer, I did have to admit uh, to myself, like, you know what this pop song, this song fucking goes. This is a banger. <laughs> I like both these songs a lot. Good. And so certainly by that time I was I was able to like come around and be like actually this Insync band's pretty good and this this Justin boy, I think he's got a future to uh, <laughs> uh, to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you got into it just in time for both bands to kind of, <laughs> kind of go away, or I don't know, indefinite yeah. hiatus is what we is what we call it in the biz. Indefinite <laughs>
2: hiatus. Oh, the the tragic uh, indefinite hiatus. Maria, you you shared some sort of taxonomies of how to identify a boy band. And I think before we start talking about like the history of boy bands, uh, important to lay down. Obviously, uh, boys they dress similarly. They dance without embarrassment and they sing well with one another, which uh, I I like that you included dance without embarrassment because I know One Direction doesn't do like choreographed dance moves, but they still dance freely and uh, and, uh, amusingly on stage. There are types, the bad boy, the heartthrob, the cute one. The responsible one the shy one uh which <laughs> my my personal favorite of also being like the other one yes. or uh <laughs> unfortunately sometimes also you know racistly describing them as the other one of being like well they're not white so it's uh i don't know he's shy let's not get into it <laughs> uh sometimes i i love that you pointed out that sometimes boy bands can be you know like blink 182 punk rock boy band with all bad boys that is that is a type of of boy band Um, And then your your uh, boy band commandments, thou shalt harmonize well with others, thou shalt respect a five-year lifespan, thou shalt not take the name of the fandom in vain, remember your hair products to keep them holy, honor thy love ballads, thou shalt not grow a beard, thou shalt not get a girlfriend. That's extremely crucial for my original fandom. I remember when AJ (laughs) from Backstreet Boys had a girlfriend and I was like, this is not right. Uh, thou shalt be <laughs> in thy teens or early 20s. Thou shalt consider choreography, and coordinating outfits, and thou shalt not covet the limelight. The Im- important rules that I think uh, do cover the breadth of the, the boy bands that you uh, talked about.
0: Yeah, um, I guess I would just add that the, like, sort of roles that you've mentioned, and thank you for doing them, because I always, when I'm forced to recite them, I miss one, and it's always the, like, shy one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they're so shy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Where did they go? Nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah, is um, basically that those tropes don't actually translate to K-pop, which kind of goes to the argument that I think there isn't a working definition of boy band. It's sort of this evolving thing. We know a boy band, when we see one, but they don't all look the same. They don't all sound the same. And that's why this is a thing that's been going on for a million years. Um, but in, in K-pop, it's like based more on their skill set, where you have like a rapper, a dancer, a lead vocalist, which makes more sense, and I think um, also lends itself to being taken more seriously yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when you're sort of specifying it based on talent. Though they do have a role that's just like the maknae, which is the young one, which would be the cute one. Um, but other than that, everything else is is sort of a ba- based on skill.
2: But yeah, let, let's get into the history. Um, obviously, can't can't talk about. Of the origins of boy band as a thing without talking about the Beatles. Oh, yeah, I tell you something, I think you'll understand.
0: Can I say that something?
2: You know, we were chatting a little bit earlier about that. This seems to be something that brings out uh, a lot of uh, uh, pretension in certain people about talking about whether the Beatles are a boy band. Um, But I'd love to hear your kind of take on uh, how the Beatles fit into the the boy band history at large.
0: Yeah, I actually went on the Australian Today show and the host was like giving me shit about the Beatles not being a boy <laughs> band. And he was so clearly like, uh, he's a l- little bit older, like clearly the Beatles were like his childhood. And I'm like, man, I don't I don't know. You asked me to be here and make this argument. And now I feel like <laughs> I'm getting attacked on air. It was really quite the experience. Um, yeah, so uh, for in many ways, the Beatles kind of lay the framework, though I'm also of the mind that there are many sort of eras of pre-boy band boy bands you can make the argument that all of this goes back to Motown or like menudo mm-hmm. or all the way back to Duwop and barbershop when you get groups of boys in uniform looks singing songs about love instead of God. Um, but the Beatles are interesting because you get a lot of the things that make the like marketing of the boy band and that's how we really define what a boy band is. It's how it's kind of sold to us and packaged, which is the incredible merchandising but also the uniformed looks hair is a big deal. Their massive fan base starts with a wide swath of young women, Uh, people like to forget that, which is kind of the most important part of being a boy band, is that you appeal to young women, not exclusively, but they make up the grand majority of your fan base. The idea of Beatlemania and and Beatlemaniacs as, as having a distinct personality, a fandom name, all of that is carried throughout the boy band story. I mean, they're pop songs, they're writing pop songs, boy band music is typically pop music. It's kind of, there's no shortage of it. They, um... I feel like they've always wanted to be like a girl group. That's a personal argument that I have that I think I throw away as like a line in the book, but uh, it's, it's it's a complicated theory that I'm still developing. Um, but there's this <laughs> element of of like girl worship or like appreciation for um, women that is also very much integral to the boy band story. And I don't think they were like threatening in their masculinity, which is also yeah. pretty pretty key. If you yes. are a young person and you're having a crush on a on a man, they probably can't be too rugged. You need some Paul McCartney soft cheeks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah the i th- you pointing out that um the the masculinity of boy bands is definitely not the like you know leather jacket wearing motorcycle riding like uh, like uh, a hardcore masculinity and that it's like very like earnest with your feelings mm. that like early Beatles is totally that of i want to hold your hand right it it does feel like it it unlocks something uh previously locked in ladies at this time of just being like wait a second there's like they can do that and there's four (laughs) of them and they're cute and like i get to see them on my television like perfect confluence of like all these factors at once
1: yeah, and I would say uh, if anybody has any doubts about Beatles being like a, a perfect example of a boy band, you just got to throw on a Hard Day's Night, which is like an urtext of boy band propaganda. Like that <laughs> movie is built from the bottom up to sell the the exact concept of boy bandness uh, about the Beatles, um, and then uh, you know it's also because like the the cranky australian guy i, I you know the assumption <laughs> there would be like s- giving into the claim that the, that the beatles have an essential boy bandness i assume to him implies some kind of necessary undermining of their like talent or position uh or something but it's like you know it, again it goes back to this this all this overriding um i guess in the negative sense, sense of negation that the label of boy band has. Like, if you say that something is a boy band, then they can't be anything else, or they can't have other talents, or they are essentially, like, reduced or cannot have any other legacy, Uh, which seems simply stupid. Like, you can, like, one thing can be many things. Exactly. and And again, that, like, early era of the Beatles is, like, I mean... Look at them. Look at those album covers. Look at the, the Hard Day's Night. It's is exactly what they're doing here. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it is the, like with the Beatles, I, when someone is kind of uh, may, maybe they don't want to accept their, their label as a boy band. I'll say that they are a boy band, but they're also a lot of things. Um, most mm-hmm. boy bands are just boy bands. The Beatles yes. are a boy band and they're a rock band and they are arguably the the best recorded group of all time. Whatever you want to say. I'm not going to piss off any Beetle maniacs here. I love them, too, as I love all fandoms, mostly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and even bringing up A Hard Day's Night is is interesting to me because that's sort of the film that inspires the guys who create the monkeys. And that, too, becomes a boy band trope. Having a boy band or seeing one become very successful and immediately trying to capitalize off of their success by creating your mm-hmm. own or creating the competition, um, and in the Monkees case, like totally fictitiously, mostly for TV purposes. But hell, I mean, they're my mom's favorite boy band. Uh,
2: I Chris, mean, Chris I'm is a, a big a... Monkees Monkeys guy. Oh,
1: I am a big Monkees fan. I especially I, I, I really came to appreciate them after seeing uh, by total chance just on late night TV head the Monkees movie, which is a total like piss take anti- Version of Hard Day's Night, which I highly recommend. It, it's easily one of my top ten films. It's it's like a, a Monty Python movie in its like cleverness and cynicalness and hilarity before Monty Python were ever, even doing their things. I mean, Hard Day's Night and Head the Monkeys movie as a double feature is just like amazing. Is like the the origin of the like sincere boy band thing, and then just like a few years later, the boy band created in reaction to the 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 Beatles, the originals, making something that is like such a funny sarcastic rip like rip on that whole idea uh it's great i'm a big monkeys fan and i love that they they started as like the first constructed boy band and then went on to make something that is one of the funniest boy band satires i've ever seen
0: yeah uh, how old were you when you when you caught it on late night tv
1: uh probably like uh freshman sophomore in college i think Oh, okay. Something like that, like 2021.
0: So you immediately got the satire. So what I'm interested in stuff like that is I think if you're a young person, especially getting into boy bands, you sort of miss that and you read it earnestly and and sincerely. I think the same thing is true with um, like Together, the MTV created like fictitious boy band for that the movie that i think still holds up uh, and you can watch the I whole thing on funny. you can watch the whole thing on youtube uh there there's some off color jokes that don't totally land but for the <laughs> for you know as as anything uh, in the year 2000 was um but yeah when i remember seeing that and taking it as sincerity as sort of like well this is a real band and they're making funny jokes but um they really do love me (laughs) Um, right right (laughs) and then when you're older and you have some more wisdom and distance you're like okay I understand these jokes now and they're kind of making fun of this thing that I was taking at face value not even at face value because then I would have gotten the jokes but anyway I digress
2: um well I, I think the other the only other thing I wanted to point out about the Beatles is that that idea of like the screaming like freaking out fandom uh which as you pointed out in the book was uh you know more maybe uh stodgy or older critics f- dismissed as like people who are being stupid and i'm just like that is that what not one of the like most amazing like ecstasies of life is to just like lose your mind watching a performance that is uh awakening something in you that you were not even aware of like so, like sorry you're mad that that couldn't be you
0: like get on our level uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you. It's such a pure enthusiasm. And when it gets, and when like fangirls get together and scream their heads off in a stadium, I, there is nothing more euphoric, as you said, um, and like nonviolent. I feel like when things are that excitable, someone gets hurt and people aren't getting hurt. They might collapse because they're screaming too sure. too hard. But um, for the most part, everyone is having a safe, good time.
2: Yeah, that, uh I love that it's nonviolent, that it's sort of, the energy is sort of radiating uh, outward rather than uh uh horizontally
0: or, <laughs> exactly. or inward. Yeah, it ascends, it ascends for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, well, well, we love our our, our Fab Four. Um, moving on to New Edition, which is a band that I actually don't, I didn't know that much about, and I uh, it, it may be a little ashamed to say, like my my main perception of Bobby Brown, the sort of star of New Edition, was through. Whitney Houston like I the first time I was made aware of of Bobby Brown was through their reality show which is a I think a far different perception of Bobby Brown than when he was originally in this group but quick biographical sketch Uh, they're from Boston three young black men Bobby Brown Michael Bivens and Ricky Bell they're signed by a local producer named Maurice Starr to what turns out you know the common theme in all of these uh, stories garbage (laughs) garbage (laughs) record contract uh that you know they recorded an album went on a national tour came home and uh each received a check for a dollar 87 like really really bad
1: woof wow that's (laughs) that's uh, like bad even compared to the even bad compared deals that we
2: discussed yeah i mean you know in sync uh sharing hotel rooms or like uh backstreet boys getting like a 30 dollars per diem like the those are not not great either but uh dollar 87 after like a year's worth of work is a uh, is not cute um they <laughs> they they move uh, uh they i think they get rid of him they move on to mca they think they sign a deal with mca that turns out to be like a production deal which gives them again no leverage in like where or when they get paid or how much uh they're screwed again but they're putting out these albums that are uh well received and they are in the sort of uh now solidified format of like what a boy a boy band was at this time and then in what turns out to be sort of also the traditional narrative you've got the one member who uh, doesn't want to be there, and it, or it also sounds like they don't want him to be there, which is Bobby Brown. He wants to sing about uh, more adult or m- maybe more spicier uh, uh, <laughs> topics. So it sounds like he's voted out of the band, um, which is also like weirdly devastating in its own way. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> that it's not like a him necessarily leaving. He goes on uh, to a solo career. There's I think one is there one more New Edition record as is with the other guys, or is is that the end? of new edition proper
0: i think there's one more and there's a covers album if i'm remembering the chronology it's, it's been a minute since i went down to it i will say though um the history says that bobby brown was like voted out of the band but like more recently some of the other guys are like we were pressured into voting him out so i don't know but it's like are they yeah. just like choosing to remember it that way so it seems more generous um it's you know that's that's a through line also in this boy band history is uh someone will say one, one thing and then like three years later say something else so it's a it's hard to write a history <laughs> book about that yeah uh, um <laughs> when we when we talk
2: about in sync in a little bit I actually was not even aware that there is um a disputing of how the band f- came to be like I, I didn't even realize especially you know I was a fan when I was a child and I was reading these books and the books are always just like, We got together. We all are friends. <laughs> <laughs> They're like we all know each other. And like then you realize that's like completely not true. But I didn't I did I was not aware of how much was still kind of up in the air in terms of like what the truth of these stories is. And is that just because
0: there's so many boys?
2: <laughs> like there's <laughs>
0: too many boys? Yeah, I think so. I think everyone wants to take credit for being the originator uh, I also just – I don't know why it took me so long, but I finally read Justin Timberlake's memoir, which is mostly just pictures. Um, he doesn't even mention Britney Spears in it, which seems impossible. Wait, and, when, and did, when did this memoir come out? It came out, I think, in 2018, like Man of the Woods. Oh, it ends okay. with Man of the Woods, and he's like, I'm a dad guy now, and I love silence and being in the woods. Um, <laughs> and I'm like – sounds nice man like whatever um but anyways in that book I I saw like another version of how NSYNC came together and I think a lot of it was his mom was pulling the strings and he like had not asked his mom about what actually happened and she seems to be kind of like you know she'll say one thing and then she'll say another thing in an interview um yeah, I don't I don't know why that is. It's really frustrating. <laughs> maybe cuz yeah. they so there's so media trained that eventually like what happened and how they articulate it publicly and then the passing of time, all of those things sort of, I don't know, meld together.
1: Well, that is something I want to get into a little later, so maybe just putting a pin in it now. Is that that is another one of the things about boy bands that I think makes them so interesting is that like kind of by their like commercial necessity that they are very acutely managed mm-hmm. and things ab- around them are like you know massaged and formed into narratives both by the people who listen to them who are you know building fandoms as you said around them but then also by the people who are putting them out who see that this that that these there needs to be a story around the group and there needs to be one specific story around the group and when you, as Molly alluded to when you have four five seven boys uh the the discrepancy between the one story of the group uh, offered by management or their label putting them out and the individual stories of the group uh, often becomes quite interesting. And, you know, the subject of fandom speculation and, and part of the boy band mythos. Yeah,
0: that's why it's great when they form on a TV show, because you can see it happen. And you're like, OK, you yes. came first. And, you know, Simon Cowell was there. <laughs>
2: Right, right. It's literally all on tape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's exactly. No, there are no disputing such things. May, who who knows? Maybe someone could argue for a, an editing that uh, <laughs> uh, was unfair to one of them someday. Um, should we, Should we listen to some new edition? Because this is a, a huge uh, a blank area
1: in my personal um, musical knowledge. Uh yes, uh, Maria. Do you have any uh, New Edition uh song recommendations?
0: I think it has to be Candy Girl. It's just the most classic one. It sounds like the Jackson Five. Their name, New Edition, to be the New Edition of the Jackson Five. It kind of really gets you into like, okay, the sixties and seventies have came and went, and now in the eighties we're gonna do the Jackson Five, but as this you know mar- marketed, I guess, merchandised rather in this new way, modern boy band. Candy Girl.
2: funny that this song is like it does have the same kind of melodic qualities as like the older school stuff but then they just have that synth that's just like
1: (laughs) 80s synth bass
0: yeah I cannot smile throughout the duration of the song. It really hurts in my face. I just find it so adorable. Is it's there anything so cute.
1: cuter than that? Yeah, the the '80s production flourishes against the <laughs> a very classic like Motown song, or is is very essentially funny.
2: It it almost reminds. I mean, this is, this is a poll, but. It, it reminds me of Wonderful Christmas Time, <laughs> just being like, you know, like a kind of cla- like, let's keep it classic, but then just like have this really weird synth because, you know, it's the 80s. Right. <laughs> let's forget, it's the 80s now. Yeah. It is part of the, you know, sort of harsh sometimes transition from like boy band into man man band or man solo act is because the like original music is often so childlike and like the often they have like high voices especially like the cute one or like the young one has like a prepubescent voice and then like the reality of coming into like their own and like maturing means that they're naturally like
0: rejecting that style of music in a way yeah that's certainly a huge factor of it I think there's also just that the fact that these people become very, very famous very young, and I think there's, like, that, uh, like, I don't know. It it seems there's, like, some truth to the idea that celebrities, when they become famous, kind of stop growing emotionally from, from, like, the period of that fame. I'm not a social psychologist, so I'm not going to pretend to (laughs) verify that with any science, but observationally it seems to be true. And then also just the fact that, like, you're being labeled a boy and you could be, like... 27 <laughs> and, right <laughs> and uh, that seems like it could be psychically kind of confusing um, and then your identity is tied up in this thing for a long time um, there are a lot of factors it seems hard I don't I don't think I have the uh, emotional maturity to have to have dealt with something like that
1: no certainly not
2: um, any any uh, new, new addition th- thoughts Christopher
1: uh, no I do I do find it interesting that you know between kind of uh, the Beatles and I mean other than like the Motown tradition which is obviously like drawing from very specifically referencing something like the Jackson 5 like in, t- in terms of something that being directly marketed as we would understand a modern uh, boy band I do find it interesting that, that it is this very clearly like you know Motown like halfway between the uh, the, the, the 60s era of like Groups being understood as like bands or music groups into something that we then understand as more like packaged and marketed boy bands that comes out you know a little bit more like new kids on the block. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I find it interesting that, that that it is this this very this black group that is the the kind of in between but uh, between that those two those two uh, phases.
0: Yeah, um, and and it's interesting you pointed out because I think that's kind of crucial to this story, right? I think, Mm -hmm. and and that's it was kind of nice to be writing a history book in twenty seventeen or whenever I started this, as opposed to the years prior, because I don't know if I would have thought to reevaluate this history as less of like how it has been marketed to white people as a white phenomenon, Mm -hmm. and actually kind of go back and find the source material and actually do the due diligence there, because like all pop music is founded in black music. Um, And with boy bands, specifically the sort of modern boy band trajectory, and we'll get into that when we talk about New Kids on the Block, it very much like undeniably foundationally is black music that has just become commodified and made mainstream when white performers do it.
1: Yep. and then a, a little later, sweetified. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> is there anything whiter though? Then yeah,
1: exactly. We actually had to import whiter people from Scandinavia. <laughs> to, no, to we had to, we had to
2: bring them to Scandinavia. Even better. Yes, yes. Get them out. Get them out of the U.S. entirely. Out of Florida into Stockholm, <laughs> Florida. Yeah. God, what a harsh transition that is. Uh, yes. Cl- climate uh sociopolitically everything um let- let's talk about new kids on the block new kids on the block uh it- it's funny thinking of the band name new edition and then the band name new kids on the block that just like you always, always got to like, introduce
1: some new kids
2: like <laughs> an, everything's like an update it's like uh like uh, uh, uh f- brand brand new model and then it's like well this one is like the the updated updated guys <laughs> yeah. like it just keeps going
1: and going <laughs> the the update, boys. The update
2: boys uh so yeah new kids on the block also from boston uh also assembled by maurice Starr. basically once he lost new edition as as clients Th- this is where in my personal like knowledge and history of new kids on the block i was not contemporaneously listening to new kids on the block but i was getting the solo careers of joey mcintyre and jordan knight And I didn't even know they were in New Kids on the Block. Like, they, whatever that marketing they might have had, like, completely missed me as a child. And so I did not even realize that it was a thing. Uh, Also, Donnie Wahlberg's in the mix. Uh, uh, So we've got some Wahlberg. (laughs) Can't throw a stone in in, uh, Boston without uh, hitting a Wahlberg, I guess. Um,
1: I I have the very, very, very faintest memory. Of New Kids of the Block when I was very, very really? young. Being a oh, thing. you are yeah. a little older than me. Uh, them in, uh, I, I remember like seeing videos of them in like Crisscross. You guys remember Crisscross at all? Hell yeah. They wore their shirts backwards.
2: Criss-cross. Yeah, yeah.
1: Around the same time, yeah. I, I have th- this is like one of the very, very faintest, dimmest uh, memories of of like pop culture for me.
2: We uh we were recently at a bar that was telling us that they were going to do a trivia night soon with physical challenges, and one of them was a crisscross challenge where <laughs> p- two people had to both go into separate stalls of a bathroom and put all their clothes on backwards, and whoever did it fastest uh, won that physical challenge. So uh, clearly, their legacy lives on in some some way. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But yes, uh, new kids on the block, uh, bo- Boston boys, white boys, they listened to black music uh, because, you know, thanks to busing, they went to black public schools. So they were completely immersed in black music and loved uh, funk and R&B and early hip hop. Um, they were also, I thought this was an interesting thing. And again, something I was completely unaware of that they were uh, marketed. They, uh, CBS was originally trying to market them to black audiences first, before realizing that they should just market them to white audiences. Uh, and they become, became much more successful that
0: way. Um, that, that, that was an interesting <laughs> strategy to read about. Yeah. I guess it's like the Maurice star of it all. It doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, um, yeah. but I, I guess it's just simply like they were playing a lot for like black audiences in, in Roxbury in Boston, which is a black neighborhood. And, um, yeah i I don't know it's really yeah. it's really sort of confounding uh- <laughs> yeah.
2: but they 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 made it in the end um by the end of the eighties they were huge. Maria you pointed out that uh, one, one kind of factor of their Appeal was that the late 80s were a time Of like very masculine Macho posturing Rock music um, like all the the Hair metal bands and uh, New Kids on the Block was still definitely They weren't you know totally soft boys But they were kind of a more Appealing softer Type of vibe um, that that Was timed uh, great for Adolescents of this era <laughs> And they were also merch kings. I think I had originally learned about them through this obviously this must have been i love the 80s i think i keep talking about i love the 80s right now because i i feel like i miss it and i want i i guess i just want to watch it um <laughs> again but i just remember them uh you know all the talking heads in i love the 80s being like yeah new kids on the block lunch boxes were like totally the moment and everyone had one and i read a figure that they had sold like 400 million dollars worth of merch within like a couple of years which is completely bananas
0: Yeah, it's totally absurd. Um, I had a friend tell me that they had a line in JCPenney because this was also before my time, and I was so charmed by that, and, like, pillowcases and backpacks and dolls and... And everything else. Uh, I do want to add quickly when you said like about the macho, like hard rock bands, that is absolutely true. And then I know people will be like, well, what about all the pop performers like Madonna or Paula Abdul or George Michael? Mm -hmm. And I think the pop performers of the time were like a little too sexy. So what you need, like Mm. boy bands really work at a time when everything else is too intimidating, (laughs) right? Like they offer like a sort of um, soft accessible, alternative to whatever else is going on culturally
1: you yeah you need an entry point to uh to sexiness you know the the middle school dance version of the of the sexiness exactly
2: you can't you can't uh uh leapfrog from childhood to george michael it just, exactly. it just doesn't work have you seen george michael in the late 80s like you need to work your way up to that guy yes uh he had a, he had an aura he had he had pheromones you can't just uh uh j- hop into that with a with a cold cold feet i don't know what the, <laughs> the phrase you, i'm trying you to need your those.
1: your candy girl before you get to like a virgin. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. I th- I, th- I think that it, I think that's perfectly accurate. Um so yeah, and they they followed I think uh the the traditional path of like mega success tensions within the band it sounded like people simply also just got, got tired of the grind um, which is you know something we've talked about a lot before on the pod is just like especially all music stardom is hard work but there's something about pop stardom that is like uniquely just soul crushing in the you know uh, demands on your time and your spirit and your your energy
0: that's why um, like one of my little sort of tongue in cheek commandments is this sort of. Of like five year rule thing, um, it's sort of a little bit of a joke in in Western pop music history. In K pop, it's seven years. I don't know why they get two extra years. Probably more members um, doing more solo <laughs> things. they
1: more efficiently run.
0: <laughs> that that is also a factor. <laughs> very true. Um, but they don't last very long, and part of it is because well, people lose interest for sure. And also, I think five years is nice because that's like one year of middle school and high school or, like, you know, one year of elementary school and, and middle school kind of lines up with a yeah. pivotal point in your life in a really easy, succinct way, but also because their schedules are so exhausting that it's just untenable to do, like, an album, world tour, international press each year, like, rinse, lather, repeat uh, right. for, for longer than that period.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I wanted to bring up is the uh the five-year rule, because it, it, it does come as... It, I, well, I guess what the question I want to ask is, do you think it is a limit, it's more a limit on the fandom's interest or the ability of of people to sustain interest in something like this based on when it hits, uh, based on age and, and you know, uh, access to pop, pop music or developing taste, or is it more a limit on, like, the essential... Uh, you know structure and stability of the boy band format of the age of the boy band members of the, the intensity of what they have to do of uh, the often notoriously um, let's say predatory management uh, of these bands uh, you know, or, or is it both of them?
0: I think it's all of those factors and it would probably depend on who you're asking to sort of like figure out which one they think is, is more impactful. I would also say like a lot of them sign five-year record deals. So when you're done with those record deals, it's like, okay, moving on to the next thing fans are aging but so are the boys that's certainly a part of it they're tired that's certainly a part of it um i think boy band managers would probably say it's the girls who lose interest and that's why they kind of go away but i I don't know if that is the case i think you would probably get to seven seven years right (laughs) yeah (laughs) very very much so i think you could probably get to the seven year mark but it also depends on like how the boys themselves are feeling you know like i think Mm -hmm. I mean, One Direction was only going to do like the albums that they were required to do um, with Psycho, but I mean, like if Zayn didn't want to leave right away, maybe they would have had an extra six months or whatever.
2: Um,
1: so <laughs> One there... more album. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> let's move on from N- NKOTB uh, to BSB. Uh, my 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 first my boys. Uh, my, my first set of boys, uh, <laughs> and we we've talked about them um, on the pod before. When we talked about oh boy, Chris, what was the book called? Was it called the Hit Machine from <laughs> so, the Sound Factory or the Sound Machine? The Hit Factory. Inside the Hit Factory, the <laughs> Factory. it was one of those. John uh, C. A, a
1: confu- One of the most confusingly coloned books that we done <laughs> because you know the sound machine, the Hit Factory. It's basically it's, the it's, same thing. Right. It's right. the same thing. But yes, we have we have visited the In Sync and Backstreet Boys and the the uh the as I referenced earlier, the sweetification of pop music through the boy band lens. But let's now look yeah, at the brief, uh, uh, the boy band lens through the sweetification yes. of pop music. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, a qu- uh, quick quick sketch. Uh, Backstreet Boys assembled by um, n- uh, not friend of the pod, Lou Pearlman. Uh, uh, cur- Curse the day he was born, Lou Pearlman, a nasty yes, man. Yes uh the
1: the balloons pervert the balloon uh, <laughs> the
2: balloons per lou perlman L- lou perlman uh who you know he uh, a man who wanted a blimp company and then uh somehow also got uh ha- had boys um because that's that's capitalism i guess as you start in the air and then you end up with a with a bunch of singing and dancing boys um <laughs> Orlando obviously uh a town uh, o- dare i say o town full of performing arts aspirational people uh with you know Disney World and Universal Studios and whatever um so Backstreet Boys assembled by Lou they debut i think what one of the my favorite things about Backstreet Boys is that they debuted at SeaWorld which now <laughs> seems so like poignant in retrospect that these you know talk about just the these giant whales and then <laughs> (laughs) these poor these poor wet boys these more as as Maria you later described them, moist beefcakes
0: yeah that's also how I talk about Shamu so yeah (laughs)
2: just so much just so many wet slabs of uh of being uh, <laughs> debut debut at SeaWorld um, they sort of incubate in Sweden um, in order to get their, their songs right but also because as you point out there are these you know boy bands are not universally popular throughout history there are these like ebbs and flows and with the breakup of New Kids on the Block there was a little bit of a, a lack of market for boy bands so they literally had these boys and then kind of made them uh, sent them to Europe to uh, get started uh, and of course, Europe loved them. And then they came back uh, conquering heroes. Um, and of course, they got super ripped off by Lou Pearlman. The the figure cited is that he made $10 million off of them in comparison to them making like $300,000 each, which is just unbelievable, uh, because Lou was getting paid uh, and, you know, of royalties and songwriting and everything as a sixth member of the band. They, they freed themselves of Lou. Uh, also, uh, an affront to the Backstreet Boys is uh, Lou assembling sync while he's still managing them, creating competition, you know, p- pitting these uh, moist boys against each other. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, after uh, a handful of albums, uh, Backstreet Boys went
1: their separate ways.
2: But uh, sh- should we listen to some some tunage?
1: Last time we played this, we were uh, playing the the, the most Swede song. Uh God, what is the name of that song? Uh, the Everybody Moved to the Music?
2: Uh, Backstreet's Back? Hold on, I have to say we've got We've got it going on. We've got it going yeah, on. We've yeah. got it
1: going on. We, we, we were doing, that's the one we were jamming to last time. So this time, let's go with the top one. Everybody's, ba- Everybody Backstreet's Back. Great. His voice coming in, like the way that he pronounces that word, yeah, <laughs> so funny, so great,
0: yeah. The hilarious thing is, like, this is such an early single of theirs. Like, they're back from where? Yes, so confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Europe, I guess, <laughs> perhaps. But I listened to this as a kid, and I was just
2: like, yeah, they're back. Love, I love that for them. <laughs>
1: It's like creating false scarcity. It's like before you even knew, like, oh my god, I didn't, I, I gotta get them now, or else they might go away. Yeah, hope they don't go away. (laughs) But you know, it is like the, you know, again, we talk about this all on the, the the Hit Factory episode. But to the title of your book, Maria, the welding of the, the, the boy band cultural technology with the Swedish music production te- technology, it is, it does make it larger than life. Like this song, you hear it and you're like, it, again, it's that thing, it's like watching a movie where you're, you're not quite sure if this is like, is there like a prequel to this? Is this like a sequel to a movie I've not heard of before? It's like, should I already know what this is? Exactly. You get it. And also kind of the inscrutability of the of the, the 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 sweetified lyrics where you're like you really can't tell what it's about, but it makes you be like like I sh- I need to know what this is. I need to be on the in joke of this.
0: Or you ascribe absolutely no meaning to it and you just like it and yeah. like sing along. I don't think I had a single thought that they were doing anything. Yes. No thoughts head <laughs> empty. Yeah.
1: That is so right. Smooth brain. One of my the, the questions I wanted to bring into this episode, Maria, and I think that this is the point where it starts coming up is is kind of just musing about the intersection with the very 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 authentic passion that these bands instill among their you know largely young fandom with the um the very overt commercialism of the backstreet or of the boy band phenomenon especially at like this point when it when it just gets like hyper driven into product like this is pure product that that is being you know um you know designed from the ground up like li- like literally assembled packaged. um not to say that previous bands weren't packaged but but at this point it it's like hyper driven and like i guess i'm wondering to what extent their target audience would be aware of that fact at at the point
0: yeah it's complicated um i think you have to kind of consider the time period as one that was sort of like hyper-commercialized. This is also sort of overlaps pretty neatly with, like, um, or kind of begins the, like, era of, like, Paris Hilton and and all of that sort of stuff, where we are willing to put, like, logos of things on our clothing and our bags. In fact, we like it because it is a status symbol. So there's sort of inherent, like, social and cultural value in the sort of hyper-commercialism. So I don't think it was sort of even considered... um, Like a conflict at all. I think it was just sort of accepted that, like, we are buying into this thing. But also, if you're a teenager, if you're, or like, not even a teenager, but if you're like a tween or a kid and you really like this stuff, I don't think you're as concerned with where it comes from and how it's made. Um, And you're probably not even considering that these songs have been written for the Backstreet Boys. You're sort of thinking of them as, you know, poetry from their heart, even if it doesn't make any sense. Um, like, all of the lyrics to I Want It That Way. Um, So, (laughs) in retrospect, I'm I'm sure there's some cognitive dissonance. I certainly feel that way, where it's like, how can I be anti-capitalist and, like, the arguably the most capitalist music ever committed to record? Um, Mm -hmm. And then I sort of remind myself it's called the music business for a reason. If you kind of engage with any pop music or any major label, like, entity or anything that is commercialized or has advertorial elements to it, um, you're sort of giving into the machine, so to speak. Uh, but even that feels like a cop-out answer. And I think it's kind of like an ongoing thing that if you are a curious uh, boy band fan who also cares about money and <laughs> capitalism in general and how the world works, uh, when you have to kind of consider, it is it is really strange. But I do think um, if, we're, if we kind of think about how music is valued in the West, typically it's through this idea of authenticity, like you mentioned with the fandom. Um, but that's usually translated through like instrumental virtuosity or you're a singer songwriter we like the garage band that kind of grows up and becomes this sort of like super successful entity obviously boy bands are kind of the opposite of that so the authenticity element of it is totally sort of rejiggered and focused on the fandom um which is kind of you know it kind of goes a little bit against how we consider what what is good music or what is valuable music um, and I I'm done with my diatribe. It's something I've it's something I've certainly considered. And that's why I don't go into it as much as I probably should have in the book, because it also feels like a very personal for some reason, a very personal like uh, identity element. I don't know. We can move on to in Uh
2: Let's move on to sync. I mean, I feel like, uh, the, the story of Insync in a lot of ways is because they, uh, were created as a, you know, sort of, a gr- group to battle Backstreet Boys and make Lou Pearlman twice as much money. Uh, but I did not realize, as I said before, that the origins of Insync were contested. Uh, and I did not even realize that Jason Galasso was a member of this band, uh, there was a guy that I didn't know about, and uh, as the lore goes of Insync, the letters of Insync are the last letters of the first names of the five members of Insync. And he, Jason, is the N, and then they got rid of him, and then Lance came in, and they named him, La- Lanston. Technically, or they said his nick, <laughs> his nickname is Lanston. Uh and so it's still in sync <laughs> as opposed to e sync. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, I you got was it. Stunned. I, stunned and shocked. I thought I knew everything there was it, to know about it's a not true.
0: It seems unnecessarily complicated, right? But I guess it would make for like a nice graphic and a J fourteen to sort of explain like acrostic <laughs> style. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty ridiculous. It's <laughs>
1: I like Lanston as like a uh, George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones like fakely complicated name that you already know.
2: Who's the um? What's what's Lan- the guy? Lance Sol is the Lannister. Oh yeah, but, you yeah. know Lannston. Lanston Lannister be in there. sounds uh sounds accurate.
1: It's like you know you have a guy named it's, you take a name like Steven and you're like no it's uh Stevelin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in in sync. Uh, also, you know t- terrible contracts. Uh, Which then got turned into the narrative of their uh, album No Strings Attached, which set a first week sales record that lasted for 15 years. So it it wasn't just that I thought that they were like one of the biggest (laughs) bands of all time. Like they kind of were, uh, at least in, in that sales record sense.
0: Yeah, um, I'll also say what's interesting about them is they kind of almost have a mirror career to the Backstreet Boys in a lot of ways. Um, I don't fault like my parents for not knowing the difference between either when the songs come <laughs> on the radio. They also share songwriters and break in Germany first, and they kind of do it. And they're from, <laughs> you know, they start in Orlando, obviously, with Lou Pearlman, and the members are from the South, like Backstreet Boys, like they're endless, uh, comparisons, but also the sort of end in different ways. I mean, the Backstreet Boys never technically broke up and there were hiatuses and whatever, that's also up for debate. Um, but they take, uh, Lou Pearlman to court essentially. And they're like, we're in this bad contract. We're worth all this money that we're not getting. Um, and they actually, like, win and kind of can continue their, their rise to fame, whereas the Backstreet Boys sort of settled, and uh, I think that kneecapped them a little bit mm. in, in many ways. And then there's also um, the sort of big year of, of N'Zink kind of beginning their... Career trajectory is nineteen ninety eight when they do a Disney Channel concert um, that was originally supposed to be the Backstreet Boys performing, but Brian Luttrell had heart surgery and couldn't do it, and there are all these little things, these like Backstreet Boys missteps that become NSYNC victories, or they kind of learn, they don't, like they see what didn't work, and they sort of build upon that. Um, granted, Backstreet Boys never had like a Justin Timberlake as as a sort of centerpiece, who I yeah. think is still one of. The great pop performers of all time, regardless of his sort of <laughs> public persona these days, sure. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, it, it wasn't as easy as just kind of following in the Backstreet Boys' footsteps and, and fixing fixing what they broke. I guess it was also that they had this incredible talent as well.
1: I always, yeah, I always thought of InSync uh, as, and I think you guys were just saying this earlier, like a little, a little bit of the 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 more intense or the more. Not just for Justin Timberlake, but the more talent, like, slightly better dancing, like, more all-around talent-focused than the uh, than the Backstreet Boys. Uh, and the songs went just a hair harder. I mean, it is – It's. I guess it's unfortunate because it does feel like, you know, taking two models to market at once, but just one, like, a slightly – it's like you got to do beta testing on the first one and then, <laughs> like, perfecting it on the second one, which is unfortunate when you're talking about, like, you know, five guys' careers and and, like – you know, uh, livelihoods in the pop market. But you know, that's always kind of how it came out is like, Oh, when NSYNC hit after Backstreet Boys, like, Oh, they, they figured that they figured this out. They worked out all the kinks.
0: Right. Yeah. But I, I'm still like a BSB girl at heart. I think it just always seems like they liked each other more (laughs) or like we're closer (laughs) together. I don't know. But yeah, there was certainly something about, um, NSYNC. And also I think they just benefited from getting some of the better songs. Um, and, the better choreography um i think both of those are proven in bye bye bye
1: well should we listen to uh bye 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 absolutely Absolutely. let's do it all right the dramatic strings
0: it's so visual to me they gotta cut them man they gotta cut those strings (laughs)
1: Also, when you talk about better songs, like like this song, just makes a little more literal sense than some of the Backstreet Boys songs. Like it, it, it's like identifiably about something. It's not written
2: in uh, in swinglish.
0: When I hear "Bye Bye Bye," I still think of the hit clip I had on my JanSport at a time period where it's just the like 45 seconds of, of
2: the <laughs> chorus. Oh, I had I had hit clips. That was that was one of those things where I'm like, I know this is stupid, but it's so fun.
0: I'm like, all of my so allowance money. went to them. Yeah, yeah, it was. I remember at one point I got the little player and it was like 20 bucks. I'm like, what? Then I have to buy like 30 seconds of Avril Lavigne to like entertain <laughs> yeah. myself on the bus. Really ridiculous stuff. Yes.
2: It, it almost made, I guess maybe, you know, uh, six or seven years later, it made uh, MP3 players hit so much harder because I was like, it's like a hit clip, but I can play all like a hundred songs and all of them. Uh, yeah,
1: that it was a it was a ne- necessary transition. I, I was just gonna say about that song. It's it's the subtle things. I feel like the little ad libs in the background just make the in sync songs like that much more sexual than the uh, than the uh, Backstreet Boys one. Even, even though the, the Backstreet little...
2: Boys are literally asking, "Am I sexual?" in their lyrics. What's
1: well, the difference between somebody going, "Am I sexual?" and and hearing just those little clips of Justin in the background going,
2: "Oh." <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> it's more of a showing. showing yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's
1: it's it's about the asking. It's about the the asking. Am I sexual? That you don't have to explicitly say
2: um let let's move on um d- to briefly mention in the chronology this is like the true boy band explosion that i remember again from my youth where you have your 98 degrees your o-town hey, shout out
1: cincinnati cincinnati zone yep. by a boy band member C-
2: cincinnati boys <laughs> We got LFO, we've got B2K, Dream Street, uh, (laughs) and then like you know the European offerings like Boyzone Five, which is spelled with the numeral five, I V E, which is just genius.
0: (laughs) Yeah, bye bye. Yeah, bye 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 was originally written for Five, and it had like a rap break in it, and then they didn't get it, and then NSYNC wanted it, and they were like, no rapping, please which oh my god what if that song had just Timberlake rapping in it if history would be so different if he
2: had, had like more if he had more like diluted confidence that he could like also rap as well as like sing and dance and beatbox uh could have been an entirely different climate
1: for all of us well well that's the thing because if you had, if it had come like uh 3 years later he would've been like I won't rap but I will take a 35 second beatbox break
2: yeah right. <laughs> yeah crucial um and also of course I have to shout out BB Mac, because uh, Back Here by BB Mac is is s- still hits, honestly.
1: Until you're back here, baby.
2: we got to talk about the jonas brothers colloquially known as the joe bros uh much more simple origin story in that they are simply (laughs) brothers you don't have to wonder where did they find these guys uh (laughs) their parents gave birth to all of them uh and they were musically inclined and uh Became a band pointed out uh, by you, Maria, that it 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 felt like in the dip in um, uh, boy band attention after the sort of boom around the turn of the millennium that the popularity of like rock and pop punk then brought about the need for Jonas Brothers as like instrument playing like a rock band, boy band. So almost coming back full circle to like the Beatles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they were like, their dad's a preacher. So they were raised in the church. So they like are exposed to music very early on. They sort of have this talent for it, as you've said. Um, and I think they certainly wanted to be a pop punk band, like kind of out the gate. Nick Jonas had um, a record deal, very, very young, that i mean i think it's it's kind of a goofy album um i don't know he's, he's done a really wonderful job of like sort of striking it from the record oh wow um, yeah I, I was not aware that he
2: had a, a solo pre jonas brothers album
0: yeah when he was very, maybe like 12 or 13 like super young um and then eventually you know disney's like wait a second there are three of them um, <laughs> and well that's uh, a that's a competitive advantage I'm sleeping, and sleeping lover, and I'm You, baby. Right. Uh, and, and I think for a while they tried to do like a legitimate band thing. Like they did tour in vans for a second. I saw them at Bamboozle Festival in 2006, the New Jersey like pop punk festival. So they very much were tr- like kind of inching their way that in that direction. But of course, when the Disney machine comes a knock in and you're already, you know, you're young enough where you are celibate uh, and, right. <laughs> and promote celibacy to the masses um why why not take that money i guess right right i love
2: yeah not not just uh not having sex actively trying to avoid it and encouraging
1: lots of people to do the same hey isn't that uh just in the legacy of uh straight edge Uh, (laughs) but their their disney vehicle was camp rock right like they were sold as a rock band am i correct in that
0: Yes, I like Camp Rock is certainly the thing I think that kind of like confirmed their position as like a boy band because you're, they're in this musical with also Demi Lovato and they're also acting in it. So there's like you can sort of attach yourself to these characters in a way that kind of has its own fandom sort of divorced from their records, but also, you know, as, as a part of it. Yeah, they really. I. I and it's interesting too because I'm not so sure that, or I guess like Disney has always been a huge part of of the boy band story. I mean, Justin Timberlake was in Model right. Behavior, the Disney Channel original movie. Obsessed. Yeah. So with, with the Jonas Brothers, I sort of find them fascinating. A lot of a lot of it is because of the sort of purity movement of the time period. They were wearing purity rings. They were sort of actively saying stuff like "True Love Waits." They were very much a cog in the. uh George W. Bush, abstinence-only education machine. Yep. Um, as were a lot of starlets at the time. And also, I think because they were so kind of in-your-face about it, it kind of, I think it was meant to counteract the sort of, like, Justin Timberlake, um, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, now we're adults and we have sex thing yes. that was happening. Because at the same time, you know, like, Justin Timberlake, it's like, cry me your river, all this other stuff is going on, and the Jonas Brothers are like, No, kids, here's the literal (laughs) opposite of that. Um, And and it was a smart move because it it certainly um, indoctrinated a generation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yes. That is funny because I remember being aware of Jonas Brothers coming up as just slightly. I was like, I knew at that point that I was... I wasn't an adult 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 yet but I was like okay this is not necessarily marketed toward me because I would like to have sex (laughs) and (laughs) I really don't like these uh these boys telling me that I shouldn't uh as well as you know Miley Cyrus and the whole the whole gang um but Jonas Brothers also advantage to them is that you can break up as a band I guess but you can never go on indefinite hiatus from being brothers
0: Exactly. And everybody wants you to get along with your brothers, which is why when they returned to form, bigger and better than ever, they could do a documentary with Amazon Prime where they're talking about like rekindling their relationship and, and all of this stuff.
1: I think about the, the Jonas Brothers that I wanted to bring up is another thing that I find very interesting about uh Boy bands is about the essential fantasy of them is that they have to exist in this liminal state of boys forever, and I think that the commandment that I'm thinking of most for you from your 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 commandments at the beginning is thou shall not have girlfriends, right? Uh, that you have to be perpetually single, perpetually on the verge of maybe being sexual, of the verge of of being not chased anymore, but to you know appease your core fan base, you also do need to be like virginal, not dating a boy not a man Um, and how that is essentially kind of non, you know, uh, this goes also to the five year thing. That is a non-sustainable way to be. And I don't know, like what, something, there's something about the, the uh, innate knowledge or something that, that this will eventually, this situation cannot maintain it. will eventually like fall apart or, or they will betray you in some way by eventually dating somebody Mm. that I feel like is also part of that fandom. Like I think Every girl who's like interested in in the boys as their like secret boy boyfriends knows, and eventually they'll get a girlfriend, and then they'll no longer be the boy the boyish boy band. And I, I think that it is, or I am, at least imagine that as part of the the allure that you kind of know that they're in this special pre state, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the Jonas Brothers like did go on to have girlfriends. Like Nick right. Jonas dated Miley Cyrus. Um, Joe Jonas dated, what's her face from Twilight? The one with the short hair. I should know this. Ashley Green. Ashley, Ashley Green. Green. And, but these are like relationships that like work so well for, to like keep everybody involved in this fandom because it's like, chances are if you are a Jonas Brothers fan, you are a Miley Cyrus fan and you're probably watching Twilight. Um, all these things kind of sustain one another. I'll also say one thing, uh, that you brought up that I found really interesting is, um, this idea of, being virginal and, and like pure, but also needing to evoke some sort of sexualization, that's mm-hmm. typically something that happens to women performers. It's kind of unique that boy bands also have yes. to be like the mm-hmm. girl not yet a woman, but the the mm-hmm. boy not yet a man, sort of like forced forever infantilization, weird mm-hmm. space. Um, it's also why a lot of boy bands are read as queer, uh, because if they're not, if they're not in relationships with women and they're in this weird space, but they're also getting older, they're starting to look more adult. And, you know, they're also very like affectionate with one another because girls like affection, um, historically mm-hmm. all of them. <laughs> um, no, that's an exaggeration, but, um, it, a lot of that kind of uh, like adds to this idea that like boy bands are in some way
1: homoerotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know, the, I've, I was thinking about bringing that up earlier when I was talking about like my kind of bafflement at the uh, the male response to boy bands when I was young because of course being a 7th grade boy, a lot of the boys around me uh were like, "No, no, no. Not boy bands. They're gay. Boy right. bands are uh-huh. gay." And I was a very literal-minded kid, so I was always just like, "These are th- these five like 18-year-olds who every girl on the planet is in love with. How is that gay dude I don't, I don't, I, like, I literally, don't, like, didn't process that uh, at, at the time. But, you know, that, yeah, I think that that's part of that, like, again, for the, the young male audience, it's like that that reflection of them is something you almost never see, your exact self, which is probably if you're, like, the same age as the, the girls they appear to, appeal to in that, um, you know, not no longer a boy, not yet a man stage. And you basically never see your actual reflection in some, in uh, somebody else. Everybody's either like a little Macaulay Culkin kid or like, (laughs) uh, like a punk, uh, like getting to be adult, uh, like macho guy. So I think that that's like the two North poles of a magnet trying to be, uh, be pushed against each other. And you see it and you, you see your own uh, uh, kind of like pre man reflection. And you're like, no, 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 (laughs) Absolutely not. No way. (laughs) Disgusting. That's too much me. That's gay, dude.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and I also think that like with with boy bands, and I do remember this of, of being like a tween, when in bo- in childhood, boys are are typically affectionate with one another, and they'll like play around and they'll like touch each other. But then you get to this like insecurity with like puberty, and like as a young girl, it's like oh, it's nice to see boys be affectionate because it's like if I if I want to hold or if i not hold his hand, but if I want to wrap my arms around, I don't know Kevin Richardson, it's nice that somebody <laughs> can, you know. Yes,
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> true. Boy boy bands are, all, are are especially in the modern formations they, they're very much a uh, the shoving buddies joke from Thirty. <laughs> Rock, you yes. know, the, the bottom lower third where they're like always kind of playfully joshing, joshing each other, which is also another like form of uh, homosocial expression that you don't l- see very often. Just like five guys dancing with each other. Exactly. That's, that's not something you see very often. That's true. <laughs>
0: the and shoving you, buddies comparison, that's so good. I'm so you, you sad And you I just want them that. to shove you.
2: You're like, I just want to get right <laughs> in there between two of those buddies. Like a
0: punch on the shoulder, <laughs> I'll take anything.
2: Shove. Um what wonderful uh <laughs> let's let's move on of course uh to one direction uh the your your uh reawakening into um the magic the true true magic of boy bands uh 1d they were assembled on the x factor so they are, are a simon cowell uh joint a simon cowell john uh they were i think first album 2011 is that right mm-hmm Okay. Yeah. Uh, huge success immediately. Uh, like insane schedule also, like I guess in the tradition of, of boy bands since time immemorial is like, they really cranked out those albums. They were, they were grinding lots of success. Zane of course announces his departure in 2015. Uh, they put out one more album as a foursome and now they are now on hiatus, since 2016 um and we've got obviously harry styles solo career zane solo career is there is there any one of them that has not put out solo music at this point or are they all going for it
0: All of them have done it, but they've been – all of them are a little bit different, which is kind of nice, um, and probably how it should be done, though not all of them are as successful. I would say after Harry, probably Niall Horan has had the most success because, you know, some of his songs are, like, in T-Mobile commercials and, like, get real radio play. Yeah. Yeah. even though Zayn was the first, I feel like people have sort of lost interest. But I have a myriad of thoughts about that. I think a lot of it is simply because he wanted to do like a the weekend-light sort of like pseudo-R&B pop thing, which mm-hmm. is a little bit of the antithesis of what One Direction was, kind of coming from this like pop rock framework. And uh, that's isolating to a fan who's like, You can grow, we can grow together, but if you're going to do something that feels like he took a hard left turn, um, it's hard to maintain that devotion. Um, and then Louis Tomlinson is doing what is essentially, uh, Oasis covers. He's like really leaned into, (laughs) really leaned into Britpop. I think it's fantastic. I've, I'm so excited about it. Um. I'll have to check that out. That sounds, I mean, that sounds great to me. (laughs) um, and then Liam Payne is—I guess he wanted to do the EDM pop stuff. Um, similarly, not taken off. Um, he's hey, also all the songs know, are really there is a market too. for
1: that. If you can do features for you can do features on a lot of producers' albums.
0: Oh, you know what? He actually—I just saw that he did a feature on a track with Dixie D'Amelio, the TikTok star. So that's there where is that's that. where it's at right
2: now, allegedly people people keep saying uh, i wanted to ask specifically i mean i'd love to get kind of your your thoughts on what why why one direction uh speaks so strongly to you but uh one notable thing about 1d is at the timing that obviously like tumblr culture is really big and like fan fiction is i also really wanted big. to ask about this yes um and it did seem to kind of that in tandem with the ownership that people feel or felt about one direction because they did get to see them literally formed in front of their eyes on television weekly, uh, and feel that sense of kind of like, dare I say parasocial like connection to them. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on like how the kind of that confluence made them so big, because it did seem to a lot be powered by extreme fan dedication in like text form in in written form
0: yeah I, i think i think you kind of nailed it in in the framing of that question um it's sort of like the beginning of how we see super like pop superstars form because of online communities sort of choosing to rally around them Um, and also what's more ripe for fan fiction than boy bands and other than like Twilight or or Harry Potter or something, I think they're your best mode of sort of creating these alternative universes and and writing your affection in a way that, um, really only has positive benefits because other people are going to be like, yeah, I feel that way too. I want to go on a date to the cafe versus the sort (laughs) of negativity of verbalizing that in the classroom where people would, you know, mercilessly mock you. Right. Um, well, having them form on a, like a television show is interesting because there's actually sort of a history of that, right? We're talking about like monkeys and the Beatles being on TV. Minudo had like an ABC Saturday morning segment, um, even in like English speaking America, which is interesting. Um, Backstreet Boys were on Star Search and and, and didn't go so far. Uh, Justin Timberlake was on Star Search and, and it didn't work out. Um, so there's sort of a long history of boy bands, sort of, and the relationship with TV and like not winning. Uh, One Direction yeah. came in third, which I think is like so good for an American fan base because we love an underdog, always have. Want to mm. see people succeed after they fail, mm. um, and and just like the fact that we did get to see them form. You get the backstory of, of them, like as 15 year olds, kind of learning to sing. Zane doesn't want to like dance or be a lead vocalist. And you kind of see how he forms in the group and in those sort of like weekly installments. Um, it really is it's just kind of like fodder perfect fodder for this growing fandom because you can it feels like you're participating but really what you're Mm -hmm. doing is you're just watching which is the nature of the sort of parasocial relationship that you were talking about Mm -hmm. um and it also gives you like bragging rights where you can be like i got in on the ground floor which is (laughs) i mean not different from like a rock fan being like they've changed man i only like the old stuff Uh, (laughs) more or less so it is it is all of those factors and then also you have like uh it is Tumblr but then you also get like Twitter and and Instagram and all these other platforms where fans can kind of connect with one another and and share in their fanaticism.
1: Can can I ask then about some of the weirder aspects of that fandom that the more current like internet speculation has brought around which is like I obviously the extreme kind of fandom that boy bands in uh engender in pop music in general is engendered has always led to some kind of invasive fan behaviors. But one of the first times that I was like really made aware of the of One Direction and how like intense their fandom was was in the like large amount of shipping uh speculation and getting linked to like you know. F- Forty-minute-long fan videos that are like you know slow-mo cuts of every interview that they have ever done on camera, with like zoom-ins on hand gestures to show that various members of One Direction were secretly in a relationship with each other, which, uh, you know, again makes as I'm saying makes sense given the the intense amount of fan speculation, but it does seem like something new in the era of One Direction about like fan relationship with the bands
0: yeah i think that's behavior that is sort of always existed but maybe more private or felt a little bit more niche i mean obviously it is it is still pretty niche um but it wasn't as sort of in your face um and i think a lot of that is technology driven like if you're watching one direction videos eventually you're going to get to a larry stylinson yes uh, indelible proof of sort of um, Video um, <laughs> Of which I've watched many <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> Yeah confirmed if, if I let my algorithm go That's, that's typically yeah. where I end up um, Still at this point in my life um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting too, that it became sort of a conversation too, because I mean, you're having these, um, this sort of shipping behavior. I mentioned Twilight earlier, but I think there was like an element of that. Of course, these are fictionalized characters. Harry Potter or fandom had the same sort of thing, but the fact that these are real boys, um, and then the behavior sort of aligns with the conspiratorial thinking, um, it's, it's just I don't know, it's just like fertile ground for for like the Larry's, Larry's to um take over uh it yeah, it's it's strange,
1: even as you saying that, uh and even me saying like it sounds new, then as soon as you see say conspiratorial, it reminds me of the Paul's dead thing, which yeah. goes back fifty years, and I think that that is the same kind of i I'm, I'm kind of speculating my own answer to my own question now, but that's basically the same kind of impulse of like. You know, taking the – the, and th- this also goes back to my other uh, p- question about, like, the controlled narratives of these things. Taking the relative li- relatively limited information you get about these groups, even for a group that's as heavily broadcasted as One Direction, like their entire formation, early career, so thousands of hours of interviews with all of these boys as they're being put into this group, still – a limited amount of information when you consider the imagination of a uh, you know 11 to 15 year old girl um, right and yeah. so you get to make up things in your head about it and in the 60s they they imagined that paul was dead and replaced with a fake paul and now they imagine that uh, there there are other relationships that are, that are going on that more, there's more than meets the eye to this group Joel, well, maybe it is all just uh Joel len shit. cartney <laughs> Joel and cardney <laughs>
2: maybe they, maybe they were maybe maybe it was happening
0: I've, but, you know what I'm sure someone's written fan fiction along those terms yeah it's it's interesting because I also think like the the the, the fact that it's like a queer ship is such a it, it feels like such a particular especially for young straight women thing to do because there was this inherent feeling that um well you would never want to see them with another woman because that means they're not with you. But if they're with each other, then I don't know, maybe you could be voyeuristic. I don't, I don't even think it like goes as far. It's like sort of confusion, confusing like pre-sexual, or at least you're finding your own sexual identity and sort of projecting that in any way. Possible. I'll also say it's really interesting to read fan fiction because it's depending on who's writing it or what age they are, um, any sort of like sexual activities kind of skipped over. It's like oh, and they woke up in bed naked next to each other because they don't know how that in like <laughs> right. those interactions work. <laughs> yada yada so yada, yada 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 the, the middle part exactly. You know or it's like next chapter sort of yeah, thing. Yeah.
1: It is also very funny, and uh, I don't uh, like the girl. I hope I'm not blowing up <laughs> uh, somebody's spot here, but I'm sure that they have they have not thought about me in a million years and are not familiar with this po- uh podcast but the girls I knew in middle school who were most hyper obsessive about boy bands though they did not do this thing uh they were uh with boy the boy bands that they obsessed with they were also huge weebs and listen and read notably and this is my introduction to it uh gay manga. We're very into like young, like gay boy-themed manga aimed at teenage girls, and also we're huge boy band fans. And it's like it, it, you know, it's funny. I've never. uh, It's not until like this moment that I've thought about those (laughs) two things being like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the, the, the gay. One Direction shipping just like a generation earlier.
0: It's it's something I've certainly thought a lot about. It also kind of or reading like academic work about boy bands and considering their sort of portrayal of masculinity as a sort of soft alternative to machismo. A lot of the times, that's also read as queer, just based on how they behave. They're sort of they're sensitive. Of course, all of this is stereotypes. Um, so that's why I'll I'll say it with a big asterisk. But it's sort of um, I I think that kind of lends itself to this like prevalence of of queer fan fiction from people who are pre sexual.
1: We need to normalize uh, eight year old boys doing choreographed dances with dances with four of their best homies. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Start, start a, a the, you know, there's sports, and then there should just be like dancing with your friends as like yeah, an activity. Exactly.
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's like what most of TikTok is, but I think it's almost like the performative, uh, like dance. Yeah, like it's like you can perform sensitivity, but is that how you're living your life? maybe not maybe you feel like you have to be hyper bro with your friends to sort of counteract that wow. I don't know I've, I've talked to like a couple like teenage TikTok stars and I'm like I don't know what's going on with you but also I'm <laughs> old like respect good good job I'm confused. <laughs> yes, yes, that that is funny.
2: The the sort of mainstream, especially like male TikToker dancing thing, is totally like an aesthetic development from boy bands of like the haircuts and the like l- looking at you seductively yet mm. playfully and like all these things that you're like, what are you trying like, what are you what are you trying to do? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what kind of relationship are you trying to have with your audience? Like who who are you? Exactly. Uh, yeah.
1: That's really funny. Can I play my favorite one direction song? please? all right. This was hip to me by somebody making a um somebody do uh, making an argument against the classic rock is dead uh, um claim even a few years ago by being like, "Hey, listen to this one direction song. This is like a classic big star song, and I did, and it is. And it's great. It's called Little Black Dress. It's banging. It's it rocks. It's a, a, a like a '70s power pop classic.
0: Yeah, the first time I heard it, I, I immediately thought of the band Sloan. But it's so funny, based on your description, I was like, I know he's going to play a "Little Black Dress." <laughs> yeah, that is the
2: that is the most Chris of a uh, of a boy yeah, band. Is. But you besides know, besides BTS, just, who I know you also love.
1: Oh, I do. I do really like BTS. Um, but. You know, I, I I guess I just play that to be like, you know, there's there is something for everyone in these groups. And they as much as they often get pigeonholed, like, you know, uh, they're often trying to have, I think, more expansive of an appeal or just knowing that they have to appeal to like literally every uh 13 year old on the planet. uh, Like you, you got you got to have something there for everybody.
0: Right. I was going to say, and doesn't that show the diversity of, of the discography of One Direction? And in my mind, I was going to use Best Song Ever as the example, but that's kind of a Bob O'Reilly ripoff. So perhaps <laughs> it's not. It's, just, it's would have been a, a poor example. But yeah, that song rocks.
2: Let's let's move on to the the ultimate uh, ma- masters of uh, genre flipping. Uh, K-pop bands, the future of boy bands or so it seems or what one, one of the many futures of boy bands, the future uh, of all music, possibly future of all music. Um, yeah. So uh, K-pop is, you know, I think similar to America in that there are music companies that are top down uh, assembling and, and running them. There's uh, SM Entertainment, JYP Entertainment, YG Entertainment or like the big three uh, who are assembling these groups it almost sounds like a, a much more standardized version of like the boy band boot camp that uh Backstreet Boys was doing in the blimp hangar of Lou Pearlman <laughs> which is just like living together da- like dancing training all the time singing training and you get formulated you get sort of plucked and only the top people get put into these bands ultimately and they're trying to find combinations of people that work uh and sort of market testing them and then putting them out into the world and the most successful in america of of all time has been uh bts who again just things that i kind of made assumptions about and didn't realize until i read this book is that they've been together since 2013 so yeah, they like time. they've been grinding for a long time to the extent that i'm like i'm worried about them <laughs> like I, i'm like oh no you guys have been working really really hard it's 2021 now like i almost wish you guys could have a break rather than having the song the number one song all summer
0: <laughs> well they will take well they'll have to take a break soon when they have to enlist in the military because if you're a man in south korea you have to do two-year mandatory conscript. Well, conscription is mandatory but you have you're drafted essentially um, and Jin is almost yeah it's actually the law is um, when you, you have to do it before you turn 27 but BTS has per- made so much money for the country of South Korea they extended it to 30 years old for people who are like exemplary like citizens and typically it only it's only ever been applicable to athletes like Olympians uh, they're the first like k-pop stars to be given this honor I guess of not having to join
1: but still the deal is that they're like, they have to do two years before they hit thirty. So they're basically just extending the amount of time that oh, they can keep doing BTS.
0: No, I'm sorry. They have to start before they turn thirty. So it's like you can like if you're I don't know, twenty nine and eleven months and however many days you enlist and then you can do your service. But, but then the they issue still have
1: to do two full years at when they, whew, that's rough. That's that's rough for a pop, somebody living the pop star life.
0: Yeah, um, and Jin I think is twenty nine, so they're um, they're getting close. We'll, we'll see what happens. I wonder. I don't know if they'll make the exception. I think South Korea culturally is a little bit too conservative to make that um, exception, and also it's seen as an honor, obviously. So we'll see. Right.
2: Yeah, if the if the whole point is a. Uh, uh, bringing a positive energy to your country, you wouldn't want to be like, no, I don't want to do that. Then your country is going to be like, why not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But they do bring in like billions with a B to the country a year. So it's like, I don't know. It's a hard hard decision. I
1: guess (laughs) (laughs) you gotta, you gotta take a page out of the Elvis book and do enlist, but then also make movies about your time in the army Mm. that then glorify your, your pop star, potential.
0: I think you're onto something. Right. <laughs> we'll send them a note. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, we'll
2: we'll pitch we'll pitch Korea uh and see what they think. Um yeah, and the the other thing to point out about K-pop and its kind of prominence is that, uh, you know, in the late 80s, there was the basic law for the promotion of cultural industries, which was introduced into Korea, uh, which in which 1% of the state budget goes to the arts. And that is for the explicit purpose of driving, you know, cre- creating cultural influence and driving more money into the country. Uh, I think I've said on this podcast before that I I, I wish we spent more <laughs> money, <laughs> more national money uh, on pop artists or just musical artists or just artists in general um who knows what we could create if we just like gave people money
1: yes nationalized uh nationalized backstreet boys
2: nationalized
1: would be wonderful one percent of the state budget i mean that would be amazing
0: yeah i mean gosh uh
2: should we listen to
0: so- a song for bts yes but i don't know which one that's that, this is the one that's tripping me up
1: um i mean I I will let you recommend because uh, I mean if I recommend I'll just go with the hardest one I know which is of course Mike Drop featuring Steve Aoki.
0: Let's do Mike Drop because I think people listening are probably familiar with Dynamite and Butter and the like English language ones. Let's uh let's switch it up a little bit.
1: Also this song fucking bangs.
0: It's
1: so <laughs> good. it very much is in the the boy band tradition but it also very different
0: it's crazy to think of like the very early origins of of bts being this like trap group to what they do now it's really crazy
1: it's also funny to think of like the 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 90s and even back to like candy girl the uh, boy, uh, boy band tradition being in like a kind of what would become in the tens like um, a, a more like EDM uh, and then also as they are saying like trap, uh, like pop rap tradition in like big, like dancey uh, rap and EDM songs. But I think a lot of those production uh, elements really carry over between all three of those genres.
0: And then K-pop was like let's put them all in the same song. Yeah
1: exactly.
2: (laughs) Which is like so my like I'm I really enjoy that vibe right now because I am a bit bored with a lot of stuff that is popular music because I feel like it is too slow and uh, too depressing and hearing songs just like go hard and then like change it up like five or six times in a song, I'm like, this is great. This is exactly what I need.
0: Yeah. I think that's also like maybe one of the reasons why, I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why BTS like kind of took over when they did. But one of them I think is just like how maximalist it sounded sort of immediately to American ears when everybody's like fucking whispering on the radio. Yeah.
1: Yes, (laughs) exactly. And that is very recognizable to those nineties and early two thousands boy band aesthetic maximalism. It's so it's larger than life larger than life. That's the theme. That's the that's the
2: vibe. The and the other thing to point out or the only only thing I wanted to point out about BTS is like instant can dance. BTS can like dance dance. They are doing much more complicated choreography than was happening in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I I love it. I love to I love to watch those boys go. And it's honestly watching their choreography even more effective and impressive when it's like seven guys or 10 guys
0: <laughs> yeah and when they're doing it on snl and they don't hit each other like really truly <laughs> right incredible right. stuff
2: I'm, I'm trying to think of if there was a time on SNL where there were like seven lead performers who all had to dance that hard on that size of stage because that is incredibly impressive. But I'm, I'm sure the the way the way they train, I'm like, I bet they gave them like a, a exactly stage size room and were like, figure out how to do this stuff in this room. <laughs> you have like oh, one yeah, month. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. Go crazy. Yeah, it's, inter- it's uh, like I've been to what now feels like a million pop like arena shows or stadium shows. But when you like go see BTS or any of the sort of large K-pop it's on another level. It truly is. And that just sort of speaks to the intensity of their training.
1: <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's coordinated with almost a, um, how would you say, a state level amount <laughs> right. of uh, coordination and execution. Uh, Again. Almost as if uh, a, a, a real federal government had put it together and executed it
2: again if we if we put resources like that toward people who know who knows what would happen? yeah uh, but of course, you still have the the same issues as before of you know bad bad contracts or uh, super unfair contracts overworking all you know all the usual uh, f- foes of boy bands via via capitalism.
0: Yeah, and it's certainly, it's changing a little bit more now. Like, K-pop used to get a, a super bad rap for it. Unfortunately, the way it was discussed um, in the West was pretty exotifying and and just frankly mm-hmm. racist as, like, mm-hmm. the idea of, of East Asian performers as machines and mm-hmm. there's a long history of Orientalism there that we don't need to get into, and obviously I'm not the person to talk about it um, in, in that sort of detail, but it's, it's changed um, and also, you know, K-pop stars have breaks now, which is nice. Uh, you know just to kind of wrap
2: up the convo what maria what do you think is the future of boy bands
0: yeah in in my book i kind of bring a bunch of different examples of like how the boy bands of now times sort of um rally against whatever previous stereotypes existed Mm -hmm. um an easy example of that is something like brockhampton are they a boy band because they call themselves a boy band and they're a group of boys i think the answer is yes Uh, Though They're performing to more of like a very gendered audience. But that's actually true of K-pop. If you go to a K-pop show, it's not all um, young women. I mean, Mm -hmm. it largely is, but it's nowhere near like One Direction where they convert the men's restroom into women's restroom sort of level. Um, (laughs) That's very good.
1: Yeah, um, but but I also think like... uh, Like the women's restroom and then very in the very far back, it's like the dads who brought their kids there.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I saw, I I, t- I think I took Rob Sheffield to his first One Direction concert and, like, could not find him for 30 minutes, and I was like, what happened? He's, like, couldn't find the bathroom, there just wasn't one. <laughs> um, so, so there's that. Um, I, I also think, like, there will be different sort of genre performances. It would be nice to see huge country boy band kind of take off. Interesting. Um, I, I the the experiment has been made a couple of times, but I think maybe there are just sort of like ideological difference there with with like country music, typically celebrating a certain type of bravado that that boy bands do not have. Mm.
1: Um, I, can ima- I I don't know if this makes sense. I can imagine it, but I can't picture it. You know, I can I, <laughs> I can see how it would work, but it's it's hard to imagine it actually functioning on a on a stage, right. for the audience. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, Also, I think it's about time America has a boy band that is like at least has one openly queer member, um, because that is still a rarity in in the boy band schema. Um, And when they come out, scheme rather, when they come out, um, it's typically after boy band has matured, or it's something like um, a boy zone where it's overseas and a little bit more accepted. I guess Mm. I don't know. I think if One Direction, if one of them is queer and came out during the height of One Direction, people would have lost their shit in the best way possible. They would have been yeah. fucking stoked. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think it can kind of go anywhere. But right now, certainly it is the era of K-pop dominance. And I mean, that shit's so fun. I am I welcome it. I'll keep doing it forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is for clear as long as we're in this... This formulation of how pop culture works, which is like largely held since I don't know, like the nineteen fifties, in the broadest strokes of this kind of, you know, corporate managed uh, but like fan informed pop culture consensus, mm-hmm. there will certainly always be uh, something in the place of the ba- the boy band like it is an essential element of of pop culture you, mm-hmm. need, you need something in that the that energy's got
2: to go somewhere
1: right the energy's right.
2: going to be there it's got it's right. got to be harnessed yeah. correctly
0: and it doesn't seem like in the past where there would be a period where people are sort of exhausted with boy bands and then they wait for another one to come up at least i mean it's too early to tell but it seems like maybe that has kind of gone away with because the year BTS really breaks in America is 2017. That's when they're on late night and that's when like, you know, you can you see their face on magazine racks and like J14, what have you, they've kind of made their presence known. Um, 2016 is when One Direction goes on hiatus. So, so and I remember like I have a couple account or um, private Twitter lists that follows like One Direction accounts and it felt like overnight they all became BTS stan accounts. And I was like <laughs> they had they had all this energy and they just had to like channel it somewhere. <laughs> And yep. God bless them. Yeah, that's so. That is so funny. I still think they're loyal to their groups. It's just like One Direction went away, and it's like, holy shit, what do I do now? I'm right. not going to process this grief. <laughs> Give me something else to obsess over. Yeah,
2: I, I still need to listen to something besides, you know, something new, right? Besides my my beloved One D albums, which all play into oblivion.
1: I guess I just had one final question: um, is that it always seems like with boy bands, is that there's a kind of when they draw down, when they hit their five years, there's kind of always a there can be only one survivor mm-hmm. rule of it, you know, whether in it's the
2: a, in the solo career, you mean in
1: the solo career, it's and I, and I guess there's a relatively few um examples to draw from of people who've had successful ones, but it's always only one and one from each group. It's the Justin Timberlake. it's the Harry Styles. I mean, is is that an actual trend, or am I just pulling something out of my ass here?
0: Yeah, it's it's something that I've wondered about, too. I think a lot of it is boy bands are supposed to be sort of like democracy, more or less. Right. Like, everybody's supposed to be sort of an equal player, but without a doubt, it's typically the heartthrob who kind of gets the center of attention, Um, and if they sort of have the majority of the fandom sort of supporting them, it's easier for them to make that transition. Um, but not all boy bands have that. Like, I don't think Backstreet Boys has that. I mean, the argument could be made for Nick Carter, but I don't think that really stands.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, as a solo performer, Aaron Carter kind of had
0: more of a uh, yeah.
1: a, a long tail, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Also managed by Lou Pearlman. Um, yeah, so like, it's it's only true for some groups but then it's also the ones that do kind of break out and become their own solo entity they tip they can like eclipse the success of their of their group that would also be like a michael jackson and jackson five mm. example or um ricky martin and menudo in this mm-hmm. country it yes. might be different in some latin american countries and in south american countries um so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it seems like for the most part, yes, but also sometimes it just doesn't happen. Um, there's just got to be special magic to those boys, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, like and even like the Jonas Brothers, I think Nick Jonas and Joe Jonas have both had pretty successful sort of. Well, I guess Joe Jonas was in the band DNCE, but oh, they were able course. to kind of do their own thing.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that the, that one cake song was huge.
0: Also <laughs> written by Swedes, which is why it doesn't make any goddamn
2: sense. <laughs> Cake by the Ocean was when they were trying to think of how to say sex on the beach. Yes. And they yeah. ended up
1: with Cake by the Ocean.
2: Man, Swe- <sighs> Swedish, Swedish people. So funny.
1: Uh, I mean, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about how, why boy bands make people so angry. But I think we kind of got into it throughout all of this. I mean, the the obvious answer is that it's something dr- uh, like where the... the you know the, the 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 target audience is is young girls, and you know that that is a group whose t- whose taste, despite uh like driving a huge portion of like consumer culture across all time, is also at the same time like felt as repulsive to a lot of people. Which I think you know, there's a lot to be said there in terms of the uh, psychology of capitalism. The thing that that is most in the driver's seat is also the most repulsive to people who consider themselves to have taste in uh in in the society. You know.
0: Yeah. No, I think you got it. It's it's kind of run-of-the-mill sexism. It's weird because it's a question I get asked a lot and it's just kind of like it's misogyny, like period, done. And it feels, if it's kind of a boring answer and a simple one, but it's like one that continues to maintain relevancy. So it's one that I, uh, that we'll continue to sort of talk about. Um, and also just, it's so weird to me that teen girl tastes is is seen as uncool because it is enthusiastic. I get, I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. It's to, to use a a very current parlance, uh, you know, having that kind of like unfiltered enthusiasm is, is very cringe. Uh, (laughs) and people like to imagine that they are based and, uh, you know, more and more like dividing things into those two categories is one of the most boring ways to divide, uh, you know, pop, pop cultural, uh, uh, taste. To me, so I mean, I I I don't know. People are always embarrassed about liking things, and it's uh you know it's one of the 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 hardest things about yourself to break. But we almost we almost look inside ourselves and break our barriers to enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, find the boy band that speaks to you. It's, yeah, <laughs> you
1: must... find find your inner boy band.
0: <laughs> that's uh that's when you are truly self actualized. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Well, then let's move confidently into the end part of this episode, Maria. Thank you for coming back on the pod. Uh. The two episodes you've been on in the last three months have been both great. We really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything that you would like to plug?
0: Um, Mostly the book, um, (laughs) (laughs) which again is called Larger Than Life, A History of Boy Bands from NKOTB to BTS. Um, It makes a fine gift is is what I've been told. (laughs) Um, I don't have anything else to plug yet, but maybe at some point in the future I will. I'm hoping to announce an announcement soon. Ooh, love
2: well, that. You...
0: Watch this space. We'll watch your, your spaces,
2: well, and yeah. then this space. <laughs>
1: uh <laughs> We'll watch your space, and then uh once you announce the announcement, and then the announcement happens, and then the thing that is announced is completed, and the completion has completed, then you should complete the completion by coming back on the show to talking about that.
0: Yeah, let's do it. If it happens, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs>
1: uh email the show please uh, i keep forgetting to plug the email and that's a good, good way for uh people to get in touch with us and introducing pod at gmail.com or find us on twitter at and intro pod on twitter um you can find us on soundcloud as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod uh and rate and review us on itunes i don't think we've gotten any reviews any uh recently so if you want to do that then fine do it but as always (laughs) if you like the show tell a friend start a a fan club uh with your your closest friends argue uh form a fandom argue about which one is your favorite uh oh, no. argue with other <laughs> music <laughs> podcast enthusiasts us. about which is the better one um ship us who's Stand the heartthrob
2: <laughs> yeah who's the heartthrob <laughs> who's i'm the shy i'm one? the shy one right now
1: <laughs> but that's all the plugs uh we'll be back very soon with another story about music this is and introducing